So unfortunately we experienced some technical difficulties trying to record the sermon a few Sunday nights ago. So I'm going to provide us with another recap here of a sermon in the First Peter series. The passage is going to be out of First Peter 4 verses 12 through 19 and the sermon was entitled Suffering as a Christian. It had been a while since we were in 1 Peter, so the first thing I did was kind of recap what Peter's done in his letter so far. And this is so important um, for just teaching students how to read letters, and which is a, a very important genre in the New Testament and the Bible. Um, just situating yourself in the flow of the writer's argument so that you can have the right context for each passage. Because oftentimes the writer is going to build up an argument or they're going to circle back around to an argument and the meat of that argument will be in the middle or in the front end and the back end repeated or whatnot. So for Peter, um, he began his letter by identifying who he was writing to, these elect exiles, these Christians that were living in a world where they, they don't feel like they belong, where they don't ultimately belong. And that's where we get this label exile. So he calls them Christians or, or elect exiles, and then he gives them this Christian identity. And that's characterized by them having been born again, given um, an in- imperishable inheritance, being filled with a living hope, being given an unshakable joy, and having been included in the story of God. Out of this picture of the Christian identity, he then calls them to be who they are, to live in a certain manner that reflects their co-identity with God, who is holy, good, and glorious. And a major part of that identity concerns the community that they're a part of, that they're members of the people of God, being built up as God's temple and living as a holy priesthood. So from there, Peter launches into what what we call the main concern for his letter. He gives instructions for these elect exiles to live well with unbelievers in a pagan society. So that's kind of the question that we framed uh, for the past few sermons and Um, We set it up as Peter answering that question for us. How can we live well with unbelievers in a pagan society? How can we live as hopeful exiles? So Peter, the first thing he said about this was that our primary concern should be our own battle with sin. And then he goes into um, some instructions on what that specifically looks like. And the first thing he talks about is submitting to governing authorities. And uh, he calls Christians to be people who submit. And he applies this to uh, servants, to the household with wives and husbands. And ultimately, Peter's making this argument that Christians are to act in the same way Jesus acted. So Jesus submitted, therefore Christians should be people who submit. And in the same way Christians should submit like Jesus, they should also suffer like Jesus. And it's at the end of this kind of focus on suffering that we come to our passage tonight in in first peter uh, what is what is peter getting at here in this this passage it seems to me that peter's giving a summary of what he's already written about in regards to living as a, a hopeful exile peter's wrapping all this up 
all the things that he's already taught about how to suffer well as a Christian, and he's giving it to us in a concise summary here, reinforcing it. So as we go into the text here, it would help us to kind of set up this passage with this with a question. The question being, how should I suffer as a Christian? When I go through hardships, trials, and suffering, how should I act? How should I behave? How should I respond as a Christian? So let's read this passage. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice! insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So how does Peter start to wrap up this section of how to live as a hopeful exile in this world? Um, We see four summarizing teachings. I say that they're summarizing because these are things, again, that Peter's already hinted at and actually expounded on throughout his letter. And he's emphasizing these things again here as to start closing out his letter. So how should we summarize how to live as a hopeful exile? Four things. Number one. Set your expectations. Peter instructs the Christians in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Hardships, trials, and suffering, they are all things that should not cause us surprise. We should not be surprised by hardship, trials, or suffering as a Christian. We should set our expectations in such a way to include suffering, hardships, and trials. This is so important. Expectations determine much of our satisfaction and joy in life. If our expectations are hazy or unclear, we'll slip into anxiety. If our expectations are not met in life, we will slip into depression. If our expectations are exceeded, we enter into happiness or joy. But our expectations often determine our emotional, mental, and spiritual health. What you expect in life will determine your satisfaction in life. I shared that this is a great example of really what happens in marriage or romantic relationships. When Stephanie and I entered into marriage, we both came into marriage with baggage. And that baggage is a certain set of expectations. I had a list of expectations for her. And for myself, spoken or unspoken. And Steph had a certain set of expectations, spoken or unspoken. And the number one cause for our frustrations in marriage occur when one of those expectations aren't being met. So, as an example, if I expect Stephanie to do all the cooking in the house, 
if that's my expectation in marriage and if Stephanie does not do that, then this will cause me frustration when she does not cook. And it will be frustration directed towards her. On the other end, say that Stephanie expects for me to do all the lawn work. If I do not have that same expectation for myself and I don't do that, it will cause frustration for Stephanie and that will be directed towards me. But the question in all of this and all of our expectations is what is the source of our expectations? We pull our expectations from a lot of things, our own experiences, the culture around us, uh, the wise counsel of others. But the important thing is to check our expectations. Is the source of my expectation rooted in reality or fantasy? So what Peter is doing here is calling us to align our expectations according to reality. The reality that has been presented to us in Jesus. Because we have Jesus, who is our true humanity, the true character of the true story of the world and the universe, then we should expect to suffer just as we did, just as he did. It is only when our expectations line up with the truth that we will be able to have joy. It's only when our expectations line up with reality that we can have joy. And that leads to, to point number two. Number two, rejoice in sharing Christ's story. So Peter says that instead of being surprised, instead of having the expectation that we will not encounter trials or suffering, we should rejoice in our suffering. And he says that we can rejoice in our suffering insofar as we share Christ's suffering, that we may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What Peter's saying here is that we can rejoice in our sufferings because as Christians, we expect and delight in the fact that we get to share in Christ's story. So why is this cause for rejoicing? It causes us to rejoice that we share in Christ's suffering because that also means we will share in his glory. We share in Christ's suffering, which means we also share in his story. And his story is one that does not end in suffering. It ends in glorious victory. So since we share in Christ's story, since Jesus' story is our story, then we can rejoice knowing that our suffering will not have the last word in our life. And Peter's already spoken about this throughout his letter several times, but reinforces it here. So even if we're insulted, even if we're mocked, scorned, persecuted, uh, what have you, for being a Christian, Peter says that we're blessed. If, if I suffer as a Christian, I can rejoice and be assured that this is not outside God's plan of blessing for me. In fact, it's according to plan. And this means that we continue the course of acting like Jesus, of living the life of Jesus. We don't stop living like Jesus just because we experiencing, we're experiencing suffering. So we don't stoop to that level of trading insults back and forth. And that leads to the next point, number three, maintain Christian conduct. Again, throughout this letter, Peter is talking about a specific type of suffering that Christians go through. It's, it's a suffering that's linked to Christian conduct. So he, he wrote in verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So Peter is calling Christians to maintain their good conduct, their Christian conduct. 
This mon- this means a lot of things. It it means living above reproach, obeying authority, not committing evil. But your suffering as a Christian should be tied to you trying to do the right thing even though people oppose you. Even when people are mocking you and scorning you for your beliefs, for your actions that reflect Jesus, you should continue to reflect Jesus. And that means responding like Jesus would respond and continuing and enduring like Jesus would. So furthermore, as you kind of face that opposition or suffering, it's really easy to start cutting corners and making excuses for yourself to slip into sin and take the low road. But Peter wants us to continue as a Christian, seeking to glorify God and honor that title of being a child of God and a Christian with our conduct. And Peter says, if not, our conduct will be judged, which leads to the last point, number four, trust in God. Peter warns at the end of the passage that judgment is coming. He says it here to remind the readers that all of our conduct, especially our bad conduct, will be judged. So in light of that future judgment, we should maintain our good conduct. However, but behind our commitment to maintain good conduct in the midst of suffering, we will also need to trust God. When we suffer, we may be tempted to take that situation into our own hands and do whatever it takes, good or bad, to escape the suffering. We're so quick to want to escape the suffering and return to a place of comfort. Peter says that we should instead start our response by trusting in God. Ground our suffering in a trust in God. When you suffer, don't try to take that situation into your own hands. Instead, trust in God, the creator who holds ultimate judgment and will not put his children to shame. So I think it's important uh, to conclude this passage with with this observation, and especially in light of all that Peter said around suffering, we need to, to make this concluding remark. Suffering is a critical component to living as a hopeful exile. All of us as Christians, we're not yet home. We're still in exile to some extent, but yet we're hopeful. We have this ground of reality that we can cling to and we have this vision of what reality is going to be in Jesus and we can cling to that so we can be hopeful but we're still in exile so dealing with that tension dealing with being between the times between the already and the not yet that situation that tension can be summarized as suffering that in and of itself is a suffering that we have to endure. So suffering is a critical component to living as a hopeful exile, as living as a Christian. If we're going to live well as Christians who are still anticipating that future salvation and at the same time living in a world that does not feel like home, we will need to embrace this mindset of suffering. This is why Peter spends so much time talking about suffering because it's all wrapped up in our very identity as people who are still hopeful, people who are on a path to glory but have not yet arrived. To be in that state, to be experiencing that tension is in itself suffering. So Peter, in, in all of his treatment of suffering, 
linking it to Jesus's story and calling us to endure and maintain our Christian conduct and trust in God. He's helping us wrestle through our very identity as Christians here. And this is how I, I challenge the students um, at the end of the sermon. I told them, you will suffer for what you love. And since you are what you love, your suffering reveals your identity. So if you truly love Jesus, you will suffer for him. And since your love actually defines who you are, then you are in the process of revealing your identity as you suffer for Jesus. So if you're suffering for Jesus, if we continually face opposition because we're trying to reflect Jesus in our, in our lives and our thought life and, and whatever, we can be encouraged that our identity, our identity is found in Jesus. So you will suffer for what you love. And since you are what you love, your suffering is revealing your identity. You can take encouragement in that. So that's what we had to say about 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Um, the next sermon begins chapter 5. talks about church leadership in um, the local community of the church. We actually had a guest speaker for that. Um, I'm going to try to get him to uh, sit down with me and we'll maybe have an interview just about what that passage is going over. And then we just have one more sermon left that will close out um, on May 5th. And that will be our last Sunday night for the year. But uh, I've really enjoyed First Peter. I hope that you can continue to listen and uh, glean some insights into who God is, who Jesus is, and what the church is called to be and to do from this letter as we continue.